find your challenge, find something that's off the chart and, and give it a shot because you just never know what you might come away with. You might come away with uh, a whole new sense of self. And, uh, and I think, I think I felt, I feel a lot better about myself. My feet still sore, but everything else feels good. <laughs> Another week has passed and I'm back again with a brand new interview. Today's guest is Reckless Abandon. He's a 66 year old who lives in Tampa, Florida, United States of America. We met on trail and he's here uh, to tell stories about his successful completion of the Appalachian Trail this year. Before we get into the show, a word about my run coaching. Hey guys, I'm a certified registered coach and my specialty is coaching ultra marathon runners, people who are interested in running further than marathon distance. So I help people who run 100 milers, 50 milers, their first 50K. Um, go and check out my website. Uh, have a look at some of the testimonials. I got some video testimonials on there. And uh, go and check out what run coaching packages I offer. And on to the show. How are you uh, doing after the hike? Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you again. And uh, gosh, since the hike, I've been so busy. I haven't had time to go through the post-trail depression everybody promised me I would get. You know, I, <laughs> I've, uh, I've been, been busy as all get out at work. So it's not like, I, you know, it's almost like the hike was so long ago. It's only been two months, but it seems like a year ago. It, it happened so fast, you know. So it sounds like you're doing pretty good because um, uh, I think someone had mentioned uh, kind of post-trail depression often is for people who don't really have much to do, you know, but if you're keeping yourself busy, you know, in general, then you, like you say, you don't have time to get this, uh, the blues. I think that's exactly the case. When I came back, you know, not only did my wife had a, have a, a lengthy honeydew list for me, but uh, she was lining up business for me left and right. I'm a photographer and so much of my work is on location and she was just booking me to beat the band. I mean, I did a, uh, in the last two weeks, I've done two major conventions. I photographed conventions as one of my primary markets. Uh, this morning I had an executive uh, that I went to his home to do some headshots for. Uh, it's, it, I've got a lot of business lined up and it's been, it's been great, but I, you know, I almost, haven't had a time, a chance to catch my breath and reminisce. You know, I wanted to stop and sit down and start putting my thoughts on paper about all the stuff I saw and experienced. And I haven't had a chance to put it to organize. I've got it, but I haven't organized. Well, I'm going to ask you um, loads of questions, which um, we haven't pre-written um, any questions down. So you, you're going to be on your toes here now. And, and oh yeah, no problem. It'll be fun. It'll it'll be a trip down memory lane for you. Uh, I'd like to get some statistics off you. Um, so, uh, your so your trail name is Reckless Abandon. Yeah. Uh, what could you uh, go into the reason how that became your trail name? Well, it's funny. I there was a longer story, and I'll give you the short version of it. But after a time, my answer to that question when I was on the trail was that it simply just it aptly described my technique on the downhill. And that was the short answer. But the reality was I was in, it was early on, uh, probably back in Georgia, either Hawk Mountain or Gooch Gap or something like that. 
and I would I had pitched my tent at the top of a hill near a shelter near the shelter and I it had rained hard all day so there's this river of mud that goes from where my tent was perched up on this little hilltop to uh, down towards where the shelter was and it was the only way to get to the shelter to cook my dinner was this river of mud and I'm wearing camp shoes which of course have no traction my trekking poles are holding my tent up I got a 10 pound bag of food in my hand and I'm moonwalking down this river of mud trying to get to the shelter is without going you know out of control and unfortunately I lost control the next thing you know I came in hot must have been doing 12 to 15 miles an hour when I hit the shelter area crashed into a picnic table and made a mess of myself and you know there were maybe a dozen hikers hanging around the, uh, the shelter it was still raining a little bit so there was nobody out by the picnic table but you could hear them all screaming and hollering and laughing and hooting and you know, when, when they saw me coming, it's like, look out, look out, here you come there. Oh, no, look out, crash. And then somebody said, uh, he's reckless abandoned. And somebody else said, well, that should be his trail name. And sure enough, it was. And I, I, I didn't accept it right off. It was probably a week yeah. later before I finally introduced myself as reckless abandoned. But after that, it sort of took on a life of its own. And I began to look like reckless abandoned by the end <laughs> of that trail, you know. All right. So that's, it's really nice. I think when you get your trail name from an incident that happened, you know, um, I mean, it's cool that people think their own names as well, which is really nice, but I, I think it's really cool when someone else gives it to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and let, let's get your, uh, cause people can hear us, but they can't see us. Um, and I'm looking at a big old gray beard there. Um, what, <laughs> how old are you? What's your, I am, age? I turned 66 in, in May. My wife will get that downstairs. I turned 66 in May. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, so you're, I'm, you're currently 65 and you completed the Appalachian trail at the age of 65. 66 completed oh, excuse me. 66. yeah 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 i turned 66 while i was oh, out this year excuse me yeah i'm um forgetting what uh month we're in now yeah gotcha <laughs> yeah um it's funny I, I i look a lot younger if i don't have the beard and i know that but i don't really care anymore so <laughs> when i grew this beard i started the trail with a very short cropped beard yeah, yeah, and i yeah, just yeah. totally let it go i didn't touch a razor or visit a barber the entire time i was out there i let my hair and beard go totally reckless abandoned if you will yeah. and uh when i got back i had i had designs on going to a uh a beard stylist and having them sculpted into something you know hunger games like <laughs> but uh uh, I've been I've been to a barber twice and have not really relaxed to the point where I could let them you know have full license to do what they want and I basically just asked for a clean up and a beard trim. Um, I don't know how long I'll keep this beard, but for now it's kind of fun to have. So it's going to be there for a little while anyway. But much to my wife's chagrin, she wants me to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, before we started recording. Uh... Kay, uh, Reckless's wife, came on here and she saw my look, which is a shaven head and clean shave. And she said, can you get Reckless to shave his beard off? <laughs> yeah, she, she would love to see it go away. But uh, I think she understands my need to hang on to it a little while longer. Yeah, well, like you said, you've uh, you got straight back into work and you haven't had that. Uh, I mean, you don't, it doesn't always need to be uh, what's the word uh, depression. It can be decompression. 
Um, ah. You know, de a decompression is nice when you get a chance to, like you say, sit down and maybe um, just go through things and what happened there, you know. How long were you on the Appalachian Trail for in total? Uh, let's see, 172 days, I believe, 171 or 172. I did uh, March 23rd is when I did the approach trail at Amicalola. And so I started at Springer on the 24th and I finished on September 10th. And I think if you include the approach trail, it was 172 days. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt, I felt pretty good about the, the amount of time. I didn't think, I, I was terrified. I wasn't even gonna make it in the, to the end before October because I just felt like I was going so slow in the beginning. Uh, and, and you do go slow in the beginning, but that's expected. And if you factor it into your averages and the days that you're going to pick up those extra miles, it, it all works out. But I was probably 1,500 miles from the finish line when I started beginning to feel confident I could make it. I think I did the math and said I can do 15 miles a day for 100 days. Of course, you can't when you get to New Hampshire, as yeah. you well know. You're you're down to six eight you know miles a day, uh, but I uh, um, I managed to to pull off enough twenty mile days and twenty four mile days to to you know stack the the average. So I got done. I think the average is supposed to be one hundred and sixty five days, and for me to only be six days behind that, uh, I felt pretty good about the speed I went. Yeah, well, that's the average of the people who finish. Don't forget the dropout rate. I mean, yes. I've, I've heard 75, 80% even, um, you know, of the people who actually hike the entire trail from start to finish. So, um, you know, that would leave only 20, 25% of people actually finishing. So that wow. average uh, time is for those select few, you know, um so i think uh what that's why i've um decided to do this podcast because i'm so excited to talk to appalachian trail finishers especially people who i spent time with mm -hmm. um shell um should we go back to uh your reasons for wanting to do the trail and i mean this is a big commitment this is a big adventure why did you decide to embark on such such a feat well, it's really interesting. I had, this was never a bucket list item, as it is for a lot of people. I've always known the Appalachian Trail existed. I, I knew one, one good friend of mine who had hiked it before, Robin Phillips. He through hiked it with his brother back in 1979 when they were using external frame packs and they weighed 50, 60 pounds. Um, but uh, I, it was never really on my radar until... I think it was April of 2018. I walked into a, I walked into a bookstore, and um, the. <laughs> sorry about the phone. <laughs> I walked into a bookstore. Sounds book like store. a spaceship or something. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> um, I walked into a bookstore, and a guy was uh, uh, Jeff Alt is his name was giving a presentation on his book called A Walk for Sunshine, and he had documented his journey which was in 1998 and uh was so i bought the book i went home i read it it was a fascinating book i got i, I got intrigued i wanted to read more so i bought another book and another one and another one next thing you know i'd read 21 books then gone down that youtube rabbit hole of yeah. uh following hikers and you know pretty soon i had an excel spreadsheet of a wish list of gear and then 
then I just basically announced to my wife one day, I said, I'm going to hike the trail and I'm going to do it in 2020. I was supposed to do this last year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course she hit the roof and it took a while for her to understand my, my desire. And, the, and, and really it boiled down to, I've always in my life wanted an epic adventure of some sort. And, uh, you know, I've got this morbid affinity for apocalyptic themed movies and so you know because they they have epic adventures now i'm not looking for anything apocalyptic but i absolutely saw the adventure and the romance of living on that trail for five to six months and it would fit the bill for something i was looking for and i'm you know getting to an age where if i don't do it soon i may never get the chance to i may not have the physical ability you know in a couple of years so if i'm gonna do it i better do it now and i'm at nearing the end of my career days not completely because photographers never fully uh, retire but uh, i closed my studio um, and put everything in storage i sold my home at a handsome profit and bought a condo for cash. So I would not have a mortgage payment, uh, paid off all my bills, paid all my bills in advance for one year so that I could leave for those six months and my wife not have to worry about an income. There was money in the bank. And so I'd set it up financially to do it without real concern. I could shut off the revenue stream for six months and not be totally wiped out. Uh, then COVID hit. Mm. Now, that would have opened it up for the most perfect time to go because all my business came to a screeching halt anyway. But because of the ATC's policies and they're following um, you know, the guidelines of the CDC and trying to uh, police the trail, they, they, you know, they, they shut things down. And I was more concerned with the ability to uh, uh, resupply on the trail. So I kind of walked away from 2020 and put it off for a year. I was worried that I would not have the uh, fire in my belly over it a year later, but fortunately I did. And, and when I went out there this year, uh, I was fully prepared. And, and you know, I'm surprisingly, I, I took right to it. I knew as soon as I started, I was not going to uh, quit this thing. I was the only thing that would get me off the trail would be injury or illness. And otherwise, I was going to get to Katahdin. And that was it. That was my motivation was really just born out of a desire to find something epic to do with my life before I was physically incapable of doing it. Yeah. When we were on trail together, because I remember, um, I don't remember the name of the campsite, but I think it was run by the, um, the, the Mount uh, Appalachian Mountain Club. Right. One of the first ones. And we had to pay to pitch up our tents in some tiny little area there was hardly anywhere and i actually pitched my tent and you were just up from me next to me uh, That's right. I, didn't, I didn't know you at that time but no. next day we ended up doing some hiking together um it, it could have been liberty springs campsite that, that rings a bell yeah yeah it could have been liberty springs around the 1800 mile mark um yeah you had they had perched me up on a rock and I had to use rocks to hold my, you know, tent stakes down because there was, you couldn't put the stake into the ground. And then I heard you getting uh, set up down just below the rock. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to walk right in, 
right into his camp to get down off of this rock. You know, there was no way around it, but I didn't have anywhere to go that night. So I was fine. And it was the next morning when you, I came down and you said, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're coming down in the daylight. I was worried you'd come down at night and get hung up on my, <laughs> on my, my gear, my guy lines. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we had breakfast that morning with the uh, Boy Scouts. Yeah, that's right. They lent me a spoon or a spork. Um, but the reason I mentioned this is because I remember now we had a few hours to to, to spend and, and hike together and talk. And I what stuck out in my mind is something you mentioned about. So you just said that you always wanted to have an epic and adventure. Um, but not apocalyptic, right? <laughs> right, not necessarily. And, and I think you said you'd endeavored upon two previously, but they didn't turn out. Would you like to talk about that? Uh, well, it's funny. I, I, I've always, you know, I've looked at those few things in my life that I, I saw as an epic adventure that didn't, I didn't complete. And one of them was I tried to move to California in 1976. Six, I believe it was right after my 21st birthday and uh, I made it all the way to LA and you know with no plans of returning until I had you know settled down for some time and uh, gosh I was with a roommate we had sold everything we owned and drove my Ford Pinto all the way to California it took us about two weeks to get there where were you uh, driving from uh, from Tampa Tampa, Florida. Florida. Yeah, yeah, so it was, it was you know, well over 2,000, 2,500 miles to get there. And um, we, uh, we were there three days when we came to the conclusion, or he came to the conclusion that he didn't like California and the gas prices were off the chart. They must have been 60 cents a gallon. Can you imagine? Yeah. So... Um, so he wanted to go home. I had just about run out of money on my own. Uh, and I'm sorry, that's the, that's the studio phone. Okay. Uh, that's yeah, the business yeah. that, the, that keeps coming in. That's fine. It, you know, it's fine. Gonna... There. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, I just decided I couldn't, I couldn't just put him on a plane and then be all, all on my own. I didn't want to do it by myself. So, uh, we turned right around and drove back to Tampa. And that to me was a failed attempt at something epic. Mm. The second one was me going to the Art Institute of Atlanta. Uh, I moved to Atlanta on my own back in 1980 uh, and enrolled at the Art Institute of Atlanta to take photography. Uh, I made it about a quarter and a half, not quite a full semester. I was an A student, but I ran out of money. And in no time at all, I left that, I quit school and moved back to Tampa, went back to work for the old company I was with. So again, that was something that I felt like it was a failure in my life. And I, it's always bugged me because I knew I was good at it. I just didn't complete it. And I don't know why, but I can tell you that when I embarked on this, one of my repeating mantras that I said right off the bat was finish something. For once in your life, if you're going to take on an epic adventure, finish it. And that was a driving force in my ability to mentally hold on to that goal of Katahdin. And, and I did. I mean, I must have been saying it all the way through New Hampshire and Maine, because those are the two hardest states. Mm. You know, um, I had a fellow on the podcast named Lanny Basham. He's actually uh, one of the most decorated uh, rifle shooting gold, gold medalists. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I think, I think, I can't remember if I asked him or he told a story, his favorite got his favorite medal is his bronze medal, because that's what gave him the fire to actually go for gold. So those two um, epic adventures, which didn't really um, come to fruition, may be the reason you actually completed the Appalachian Trail. It could very well have been. I can tell you it was a great motivator in my mind. Uh, I, I kept saying in back of my head, I'm not going to fail on this one. This one is going to, to be a success. And be a success meant get to Katahdin at all costs. I don't care how injured I was, how sick I was, how emaciated I'd gotten. I was going to reach the top of that mountain. And I, I'm so pleased I did. I could feel uh, at least some degree of satisfaction that I completed what I set out to complete. You know, after those first two epic adventure failures in my life. And they were, you know, I was much younger then. Uh, I don't know if I could have done this trail when I was younger. I think being older was an advantage for me. Yeah, it, it does make sense. You're a lot wiser. Um, me and Hollywood, uh, Hollywood was uh, a, a through hiker who I spoke to in the last, um, on the last podcast for listeners who want to go back. Reckless, you know who Hollywood is. He's a great guy. Yeah, I met him, met him in New Hampshire at... Uh, I can't remember the name of the hostel, uh, but I, it was there. It was early in New Hampshire, not far from Hanover, I don't believe. And I ran into him several times. We saw him, I'm sure, at, uh, on uh, Franconia Ridge. Well, one of the things we spoke about <clears throat> was uh, the fact that you've either got young kids out of college or you've got um, guys, you know, in their 60s, wise guys like you. Right. Well, then there's this there's not many of kind of me in Hollywood, like thirties to forties kind of age. Right, right. How did it feel? Um, what did, how did you feel hiking with the different, cause I know you weren't in one particular group or were you, and, and how did you interact with the younger people, people your age? And, and did you find the different age groups? There's a question here somewhere. How did you <laughs> find interacting with the different age groups? That's the question. Did Interestingly enough, although I fell in the demographic of the retirees, I didn't feel like a retiree. And I probably felt like I identified more closely with the college graduates, or at the very least, the, the middle-aged people in their 30s and 40s, which you're right, you didn't see that many of them in that demographic. Uh, but I was, an, I was a loner on this trail in, in regards to tramilies. I belonged to a few tramilies, but only sporadically and not for long. The Dirty Bubble, which I know, um, you know Road Soda and his gang, I started with those guys back in Springer. So I met a lot of them. And then I saw them again in Hot Springs and I saw them a few of them uh, shortly after that. And then I ran into them again. I caught up to them again uh, in Vermont. And so I, you know, I, I, they were only, I think they only finished five days ahead of me. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, there were other tramilies that I kind of hung with for a couple of days at a time, but I didn't, I didn't attach myself to a group because I wanted to walk at my speed. I knew that that could be a problem if they were faster than me and just about everybody seemed like they were. Mm -hmm. uh, I would hike longer days to get to the same distance. So I would stay at the same campsite, but they would have been there for two hours by the time I got there. If I'd have stuck with them for long, 
uh, I would have been worn out pretty quickly. I don't think I could have kept up. Some of these, you know, some of these people, I mean, they blew by me like I was walking the other way. And uh, it was it was kind of funny, but we'd, I would still catch up to them largely because they would take zeros and I took very few. I only took zeros when they were medically necessary. I took very few zeros that were considered luxury zeros. Yeah. Um, so when the, the, the last two weeks I spent with you know what the tramley I seemed to be around at the time was a group that included people like uh, uh, Honey Bun and Daddy Long Legs, um, uh, Green and Big Bird. I mean, these were people that I saw. Bucky, I saw them a lot in the last two three weeks, and I summited with Daddy Long Legs and Honey Bun and Bucky. And uh, I, I had told them two days earlier, I, I really want to summit with you guys. So don't lose me because <laughs> I want some friends with me when I climbed that last mountain. And they were, boy, they, they stuck right with me. So I, I love them to death. They were great people. Yeah, that, no, that, that's pretty nice to like have the freedom, but also have the friends at the end. Let's go back to the start. Did you do any shakedown hikes uh, to test out your gear? Yes, I did. I started uh, on the Florida Trail because I live in, in Tampa. I, I took two hikes and one was about 40 miles in the Ocala National Forest on the Florida Trail. The other one was about 35 miles in Withlacoochee. And on both of those shakedown hikes, I had with me uh, my good friend Robin and his brother Paul, who, like I said, had hiked the AT, through hiked the AT in 1979 and they still hike they're still avid hikers and so i said you know no better mentor than you two guys to to take with me on a shakedown hike so they went with me on those two hikes i learned a lot about my gear and a lot of about hiking etiquette and you know things to to remember when you're on the trail around other people um you know, hanging bear bags and things like that. They kind of taught me a lot of tricks of the trade. Then I started going up to the AT. I did four shakedown hikes on the AT that ultimately covered the first 150 miles. So by the time I went out there to actually hike through hike the AT, I had already done everything from Amicalola to uh, not quite Fontana Dam. Uh, let me see. I think it was the NOC, the NOC, Nantahala Outdoor Center. Everything up to that point I had done. So I knew what the terrain was like. I knew what I was getting into. I felt comfortable with my gear. I felt comfortable with my pack weight. Uh, I knew how to hang a bear bag. I knew how to dig a cat hole. I knew how to cook my food. I felt pretty good about my odds, uh, you know, on, on the gear front. Yeah. And so I did. I, and, you know, I, and it, it, I'll tell you this. There's nothing more fun than watching new hikers that first 150 miles they make all the mistakes that you've probably made or would have made had you not had, you know, good, good shakedown uh, hikes. Um, and it's, it's hysterical. I never laughed so hard in my life as I did the first five or six weeks, just watching the, the foolish things that they do. And you know that they're just amateur mistakes and we all make them. It was just fun to watch them knowing it was going to happen. And it wasn't me that was doing it. <laughs> so. Well, that, that, that's kind of funny, um, but slightly cruel as well <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> oh, but, you know, we usually laugh at other people's misfortune, you know. Well, you like, could. Your, 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 your name, Reckless Abandon, was from misfortune, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't. 
I didn't point and laugh and make it yeah, obvious, yeah. you know, but inside, inside, I am in hysterics thinking, oh, this is too good to be true. Because I fully want to write a book and I don't just want to write a trail journal. I really would rather write a comedy if it were up to me and no better place to get material for a comedy than the first six weeks of a, of a through hike, you know, yeah, because yeah. of all of the calamities you see people do. And you don't want to be that guy who is constantly stepping up and showing them that they're doing it wrong for all you know they know a better way of doing it you haven't seen it yet so you know keep your mouth shut and just watch and i never laughed so hard at some of the things i saw people do and and you know they probably you know they were they were innocent mistakes and you just kind of let it go you know you gotta let people learn on their own so oh, that's what yeah i believe so that's the way to learn um also when i met you i remembered there was a certain um show i think that you were wanting to apply for um yeah survivor that's right yeah. survivor so yeah. i think i think i ended up watching a whole episode like a series of that um afterwards because uh some of the dirty bubble were watching an episode so i took a note ended up watching it and getting addicted to yeah. it. You know, and now I know what Survivor is, but I didn't really know what it was when I met you. It's a, so um, uh, go ahead and um, speak about that, what happened, where you're at. I, I don't know what's happened or anything. Well, when I got back, while I was on the trail, I was filming snippets that I knew I would use in an audition tape. What Survivor requires is about a three to four minute video, just so they can see what you look and sound like and act like on, on camera. And so, but when I got back within about two weeks, I had, I had uh, basically put together a, an audition tape. And um, the interesting thing was while I was filming my very first little snippet that I knew I'd be using in the, uh, uh, the, the audition tape, there was a hiker standing nearby. Uh, his trail name was Turn Two. And turn two comes to me and he says, listen, I just heard what you just said. I was basically talking to the producer, uh, Jeff Probst, in, in my video. And he says, I know somebody who was on that show. They were in season five. They're a good friend of mine. I'll reach out and see if there's anything that, you know, that I can find out that would be helpful to you. And I said, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Well, he and I hiked together for about a week or so. And then he and his wife got off trail. They were just section hiking in North Carolina. And uh, they got off trail. And about a week after they were off trail, I get a text message from him. And it's a video from Tanya at season five. And she is saying, hey, Kevin, I hear you're on the Appalachian Trail. And, you know, really looking forward to hearing your audition tape. I know you're auditioning for Survivor. And, you know, uh, you know hope, it, hope it goes well. If there's anything I can do, let me know. And, you know, send me your tape. And I'll, I'll see if I can send it to somebody in the cast. And uh, so I, I had that in the back of my mind the whole time. I've got an inside track. All I need now is to put together a good tape. By the time I finished the trail, I knew I had the material I needed. I put together the tape. I sent it to her. Uh, she wrote back to me and said, yes, this is you know absolutely one of the best audition tapes I've ever seen. I'll send it to a couple of people I know that might be in a position to help. At the same time, here's the link to CBS. And uh, please you know, log in there and apply. Um, like everybody else does yeah. and so i did and it's basically a don't call us we'll call you uh, audition mm -hmm. so i i have not heard back from them it's been a month and you know maybe a little more and i don't know that i will but i'm told 
don't give up. You, you apply at least twice a year. They have two seasons a year. So keep trying. And, you know, I don't know how much longer I can physically do it. I'm 66 now. And I, I think 70 is the oldest person that's ever, ever been on it. And he was on season one, Rudy, uh, unless there was somebody older than him and I'm not aware of him. But uh, anyway, uh, I do have, I can't make the tape, the audition tape public yet. Uh, I, I need to leave it in survivor's hands until they make a decision on me. Um, and then at some point I can release it publicly, but, uh, yeah, it's, know, uh, it's, you know, when the, um, the, the date for the decision, it's all no, I, they, they, they don't really give you enough information because they have two seasons per year. They're constantly casting and constantly oh, yeah. having tryouts. So while you're watching one season, they've already taped the next one. Yeah. So it's, that's how quickly they keep that ball rolling. Uh, so the earliest I would be involved in one, uh, I would think they would have to call me pretty soon to be able to film it before the next one airs. Okay, the, there's one airing right now, and then that one will be, you know, gone pretty soon. And you know, if, six months later, the next one is. Just to fill the uh, listeners in on uh, those of um, listeners who haven't heard of Survivor, do you want to just give a quick rundown of actually what it is? Well, they put about 30 people on an island or, you know, it's usually a beach location because it's, you know, sexier, I guess, to put, you know, shirtless guys and bathing suit clad women on there. But uh, uh, they, they put them on there and they, they get involved in challenges, their team efforts. And once they, you know, if, if a team loses, then they have to vote one of their tribe members off. And then that goes on until half the people are left and then they merge them into one group and they continue with individual immunities and you know there's a lot of essentially they're on this island for 40 days yeah. 30 to 35 to 40 days something like that and they narrow it down to the final three and then uh, at some point everybody votes who gets the million dollars okay it's a million dollar prize at the end which is my sole motivation not to mention <laughs> not to mention the the epic adventure that that would be, uh, which again, appeals to me greatly, a million dollar prize would be a nice thing to have at the, you know, at, the, at the end of that, if I could pull that off. And the old man, quote unquote, they always have at least one old man in every season. And that's what the part I'm applying for. I understand enough about casting to know that they, they you know, pick one drama queen, one old man, one motherly type you know they they have all of these character spots that they have to fill so they do that and um, you know i want the old man part because i'm the old man they don't see coming i'm reckless abandoned as far as i'm concerned everything's game for me i'm i'm willing to play uh and, and you know lie cheat steal connive all those things come into play in that show and that's what's fun about it because you get to do things you would never do in real life you know yeah well that's the show <laughs> um, yeah. and and i i tell you what i i think out of positive good energy like you're one of the people who had you know the most energy on trail i think you do i hope <laughs> i hope you get in and if not don't give up keep on trying that'd be um pretty yeah. cool back to the appalachian trail it's a place uh full of um you know bears and and, and uh, you know, bull moose and, and ticks and like uh, nature, you're in nature. Did you, what, 
are there any particular encounters with nature that stood out to you, whether whatever it may be? You know, interestingly enough, I, I was so focused on the six feet in front of me to prevent the tripping and falling down and stubbing of toes that uh, I didn't look around enough. Uh, I knew I met people who saw 15, 20 bears. I saw two. And actually, I saw four, if you count the two I saw in the New York Zoo. So uh, <laughs> yeah. beyond, if it hadn't been for the zoo, I think they put that there just to appease the people who may never get a chance to see a bear. Here's two bears. Uh, so I saw two bears in New Jersey. Um, one was on the other side of a lake. So he was so far away, it was inconsequential. The other one was pretty close to me and came out onto the trail that I was walking, but he turned in the same direction I was walking. I don't think he ever knew I was there. It was maybe 50 yards in front of me, uh, jumped onto the trail, went the same direction as myself for about uh, 15 or 20 yards, and then turned left and went down a hill and I never saw him again. Uh, so I didn't have a, a huge bear encounter, certainly not multiple ones like most people did. But I'm told also, I came to understand that you're gonna, you have more of a chance seeing a bear if you sleep in shelters than you do if you sleep in your tent. Because there were a couple of nights when I heard a whole lot of hooting and hollering going on in the shelter. And I found out later that a bear had been nosing around in the front of the shelter and they were you know hollering and screaming and trying to chase it off well, i'm in my tent it doesn't bother people in their tents unless it can smell foods you know I mean, they're all bears are pretty uh, shy around people they're just in it for the food uh, so i never i didn't see that many bull moose never saw one uh, i heard one twice and that yeah. was once when i was in a shelter by myself at night and that was in maine and um uh, which was very rare to be in a shelter and not have a single soul anywhere. Yeah, I was going to say that is a rarity. Yeah, I had, I had the whole shelter to myself. Uh, there was nobody camping in a tent anywhere near me, and you could hear hooves walking on the rocks. It sounded just like a horse. I know that sound well enough to know it, it was not a deer, and it couldn't have been a bear. So it had to have been a moose. It was about 10, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I turned my flashlight on and looked out the shelter. I didn't see anything. When I turned it off, I heard it walk away. It was behind the shelter and it walked away. And I said, yeah, there's no question about it. That was a moose. I never got to see it. But that, again, that's the closest I came to it. Uh, ticks, I got bit once by a tick, but rarely ever saw any. Um, and mice, I saw plenty. Porcupines, I saw one came up and pressed his nose right against my tent window one night, uh, right around dusk. I, I thought it was a cat at first. And then I looked a little closer and turned my headlight on it. And it was a porcupine. As soon as it saw the headlight, it turned and walked away. Uh, saw probably 50 to 100 deer. I mean, I would see deer sometimes in groups of eight or nine at a time. So there was plenty of deer out there. And, you know, they keep their distance, but they're not that shy. They'll freeze when they see you. And they look like a, a lawn ornament at Christmas time, you know, but they will stand very still until you break eye contact. And as soon as you break eye contact, they take off. Mm. And that, that surprised me. But otherwise, um, you know, I didn't see, I didn't have any dangerous animal encounters, but I, I felt like I got a taste of all of the wildlife that's out there to be had. Yeah. And how was the weather? Did you have, you said you started in March. Um, was there any snow on the ground uh, back then? There was no snow on the ground at the time, but we did have 
temps that dropped as low as 18 at night. And in the 20s, uh, we stayed in the 20s for a couple of days. That's degrees Fahrenheit, yeah. Yeah, Fahrenheit, yeah. Not, yeah. not Celsius. Uh, but uh, the, uh, uh, it, it, was, it was below freezing for a couple of days. And um, I had a frozen water bottle when I got up one morning. The hardest thing in the world to do is to flick a lighter, uh, to flick a Bic with a frozen fingers. When your fingers are so cold, it's painful to spin that little metal wheel. I, I'll tell you, if, if I were to hike again in the cold weather, get one of those lighters that has a trigger. It looks like a grill lighter yeah. and it has a trigger. That's the smart thing to have. And they make them and they're pretty small. They're not that big. They're the same size as a regular lighter. You just got a trigger and a stem on it. Uh, but otherwise, uh, um, I did see snow at Rowan Mountain in um, North Carolina. I, I got caught in hailstorms twice and uh, where it was just bouncing all over the place. And I just kind of got up close to a tree and hung on for a little while until the worst of it went by. But um, yeah, it, you know, you, you embrace the suck when you go on that trail. And, you know, it's an old saying, but it absolutely has to apply. You've got to go out there and expect to get rained on, expect to be cold, expect it to be hot. I mean, the hottest weather I think I hiked in was probably up in, in North Carolina. I mean, I'm sorry, not North Carolina, uh, New Hampshire. I think I, there were times when I know I was climbing mountains and it was like 95 degrees and with a, with a feels like temp of 105. And every, I'm sweating like a sprinkler, but I'm from Florida and I'm used to that. I mean, you, you break a sweat just getting in your car in the daytime. So uh, I didn't feel I didn't feel like the heat was ever going to bother me. And as, as, as hot as it got, uh, and it was miserable, it was never something worth complaining about, you know, for me. I was more concerned about cold weather than I was hot weather. Yeah. What did you mentioned you slept in a tent? Um, talk about some of your choices of kit and uh, why you decided to, you know, like um, purchase or use those particular pieces. Uh, I, I bought the Z-Pax duplex tent. Uh, initially, I wanted the Solaplex, Solplex, but they quit manufacturing. As soon as I was ready to buy, it was no longer available. I was very upset about that because my whole goal was going lightweight. I was trying to build an ultralight setup So because I'm an old guy. And let's face it, I don't want to have to carry a whole lot of weight. You know, I'm, I'm older than I-95. So I've got to be able to, to walk with as little weight as possible to pad my success of, of, of achieving this, this monumental goal. Yeah. Uh, so I went with uh, the light, lightest pack I could find, the lightest tent I could find. When I went to the duplex, I thought, you know, God, I'm adding an extra two ounces. You know, can I handle that? And it's supposed to be a two-person tent. It's not. It's a one-and-a-half-person tent. It's a person and a gear and gear load out. So I, I slept with my pack inside my tent at night. Rarely did I leave anything outside the tent. Maybe a water bladder that had water in it so it wouldn't leak in the tent. But otherwise, everything came in the tent with me at night. And that was nice to have that space. Uh, it held up very, very well. I didn't have any problems with it. It started to leak through the floor when I was in either, I think I was in Maine, uh, and the problem was, if Maine is so rooty and rocky that um, even with a sleeping pad, 
there were wear spots that were developing on the bottom, on the floor of the basin of the tent. And um, I didn't realize it until it rained one night and my tent filled up with water and it hadn't come in through the side netting at all. Yeah. And I couldn't figure it out until I got home and hung that tent up in the garage to uh, clean it off and discovered about nine very small holes in the bottom of the tent. And I patched them all up. So I've got that tent ready to go for my next trip, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah. um, I was very happy with that tent and the, you know, the whole setup, Every all my gear held up very, very well. How about very, your, did you go for like an air mattress or a, a closed foam? Uh, no, I'd use the, I started with the Thermarest uh, X-Lite and it developed holes fairly early on. It started developing a slow leak. By the time I got to Damascus, it was losing air. Uh, I called my son and he sent me his Thermarest, um, let's see, mine was the X-Lite and his was the X-Therm, I think, which is a much bigger uh, air mattress. And it was wider, it was longer, it was thicker. And I thought, ah, oh, this is going to weigh so much. I'm not going to be happy with it. But you know what? I got my best night's sleep. As soon as I started using that mattress, I was sold. And so I did. I, I carried that thing all the way to Katahdin. I sent it back to my son. It's covered in blood because <laughs> of it. <laughs> I said, sorry, but that's what the trail does to you. <laughs> you, know, you scratch your arm on a, yeah. on a root or a tree or something, and it develops a little scab. And then you wake up in the middle of the night and rip the scab off and you're bleeding everywhere, but you don't even know it until the next morning. That, that, that pad was a mess by the time I sent it back to him, but I don't think he minded. I think he, I think he was kind of proud of it by the time I got it to him. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, like if uh, my dad hiked uh, 2000 something miles and I lent him my air pad and he sent it back. It's like uh, <laughs> it's the it's the adventure trophy, you know, the little. Yeah, thing. that's right. That's yeah. right. That's what he calls me. He says I got old man strength. That's what he <laughs> refers to. Old man strength It's basically superhuman strength that you would find, you know, that maybe a grandfather can lift his lift a car off his grandchild that's the kind of old man strength he thinks i possess <laughs> well i think you got a heck of a lot more than that the strength uh, can't be um there's no age on strength is there you know you, you i mean what you achieved is pretty epic let's talk about that um and actually let's talk about maybe what's your opinion on why people and why why do you think people go to do something which is so extreme i mean what you know those first two failed epic adventures but now you've done the third one and you've achieved it i i i, I kind of gonna guess that you're feeling pretty good about yourself i mean has this changed you as a person and if so how ah uh, it's hard to say i don't think it's changed me as a person i think i at least when i got back i felt like i had a little more patience with people and things than I did before I left. I think, I think 2020 was one of those years that tested everybody's patience and, you know, your resolve. And for me to go out and do this hike in 2021 was the perfect release for all those frustrations. And, um, and when I came back, I felt like, okay, I can, I can handle just about anything. There's, I'm an easygoing laid back kind of guy to begin with, but uh, I think the trail taught me that I don't have to be in a hurry all the time. 
I mean, let's face it. It <laughs> took me five and a half months to get someplace I could fly to in three and a half hours, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I, and I enjoyed every bit of it. I, I, I still enjoy walks. I mean, I will go out and I'll walk this afternoon, you know, and I might put in three miles or something like that, just, just to breathe some fresh air. I do think it, there is maybe a slight degree of swagger that comes with being a through hiker, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I photographed a convention in Orlando this past week. I was there for six days and they actually on the last day asked me to take the stage and spend 10 minutes just talking about my experience. And so I showed a brief slideshow of some of the images and I spent a few minutes, but I, and, and my message to them was, we are all far more capable of things that we don't believe we can do. We're far more capable than we believe we are. And that's physically, mentally, and emotionally, we can do things that should, you know, we should always be challenging ourselves to go outside of our comfort zone, outside of that box and, and, and look for something that shakes yourself up, uh, something that challenges you and hit that reset button. And if you complete it, and you can get back, then you know, you're, you're far more capable of doing things than, than, than uh, you ever believed you could. And I kind of feel like that now. And I think that's the swagger I'm talking about is I, there's very little that will shake me because now I've done this. It's like, if I've done that, I can do this. There's nothing that I, I can't at least attempt. And if I can attempt it, there's a good chance I can, I can achieve it. So uh, the, yeah, that's the swagger that comes with being a, a through hiker, I think, physically, mentally, and emotionally. That's a long trip. I mean, that's not just a weekend thing. It's a long trip. And I, I like the way you said you took five and a half months to walk something you could have flown in three hours. Yeah. I mean, that, that says a lot about you. I mean, it just says a lot about all the hikers is that, you know, people taking time in their lives to actually just just taking some time. Yeah, you know, just yeah. take some time in your your life. It's your life. You it's know? your life, and yeah, yeah you, make time for it. Don't wait for it to happen. It's not going to happen that way. You have to force the issue. You've got to stand up and say, you know what? I don't care what falls apart behind me. This is something that's in front of me, and I have to do this for me. My entire life, I've been a responsible individual. I've been married for 36 years. I've got a 35-year-old college-graduated son who's an Army officer, retired. Uh, I have had a successful run in business. I'm a past president of three professional photography associations. I've, I feel like I've achieved a lot of life goals, but this was something that was outside of my comfort zone, outside of my box, outside of the norm not something that would ever fall in line with any of these other things that I've achieved, but by golly, I wanted to do it for me. And as selfish as that sounds, it was probably the best thing I could have done at this time in my life. Yeah. Well, I, I can just, I can just imagine all the people listening to this, you know, being <laughs> inspired by those words, because it, you've got to hear it, you know, sometimes, it, you yourself were inspired by going to see a talk about a book and that's why you're here now talking about your successful journey you know so yeah. um, I'm really pleased that you um, are able to articulate the reason why people do this kind of thing you know 
how you know um it's like you say you got to embrace the suck talk about some of the really have you got any stories about really tough times on the trail the hardest time i had was probably more mentally and it it was physically and mentally but it was i had developed a case of cellulitis back in hot springs and cellulitis for those who don't know is a bacterial infection under the skin Apparently, according to the doctor, I had gotten poked by a barb at some point where it broke the skin and I, I was evidently living in unsanitary conditions like, you know, most hikers do. You wear dirty socks for three days in a row and you're walking in the woods and you're not getting washed off often enough. And uh, at, at any rate, this bacteria developed under the skin and it, it caused my ankle to swell and I could no longer walk. I was kind of hobbled for three days in hot springs, attempted to hike uh, out of hot springs, made it about 30 miles, wound up in Irwin, Tennessee for six more nights, six or seven more nights, and waiting for my ankle to finally slow down. If it didn't, then my hike was over. And the sad part about cellulitis, which I didn't know at the time, was it's fatal if you don't, you know, if left untreated. Now, I was taking doxycycline, which they had prescribed, um, but I had forgotten their instructions that if you take doxycycline, it's photosensitive, which means you should stay out of the sun. Well, the first week I was on it, it was raining. So I was covered in rain gear most of the time, and I didn't, I wasn't exposed to the sun. The second week, it kind of, uh, you know, the, the sun came out and warmed up for the first time ever. And I was hitting Damascus about that point. And I, I blistered my hands and I didn't know why. I just thought they were sunburned. And it wasn't until I'd hiked with a, a retired pediatric oncologist who said, dude, you were on doxycycline. That's why your hands are blistered. Well, now by this time, my hands looked like they had third degree burns. They had, I had these enormous blisters on the tops of both my thumb and index finger. And, um, and so I had to start wrapping those. Now I've got these claws of gauze on both hands. I mean, it's like one thing was leading to another and it was starting to really wear my patients thin with what is my body telling me? Is it telling me I shouldn't be out here? Am I just or am I just being stupid thinking I should have been out here? Uh, and so those, that, was, that was my biggest physical challenge and it was a mental game to get beyond it. Once I got beyond it uh, and my hands cleared up, the cellulitis cleared up, I started cranking out 20, 22, 24 mile days back to back to back. Uh, I think I went 71 miles in three days at one point. And uh, I was really moving fast. I was trying to catch up, try, trying to catch up to the dirty bubble that I'd known so far back, you know, and I couldn't. Uh, it wasn't until New Hampshire that I finally caught those guys. But I went, I went for a long time without a zero. I think I had a 37-day stretch with no zeros and then a 33-day stretch with no zeros. And most people were taking at least one zero a week. Yeah. So I was, I was, you know, moving when they were sitting still. And eventually I did catch up to that group. Uh, but you know, my physical challenge, that was, that was the worst of it right there. I mean, I think I made a total of seven trips to medical clinics and did it all in the first thousand miles. And by, you know, by the time I hit, uh, Harper's Ferry, 
I just told myself, I'm not going to any more medical clinics. I don't care if I lose a limb, I'm going to walk to Katahdin with that without, it, you know, and, and, and pretty much, pretty much did okay after that. You said something to me, which I still remember. Um, it was uh, your injuries um, will heal while you're using your body. I don't know if you remember saying that because I think I had a little bit of an adductor um, injury and, uh, you know, sitting on the couch watching Netflix is probably not the best way to recover your body. So is your philosophy that, you know, like, um, you know, use your body and, 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 and the injuries will go away? Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that? Because I found that really interesting. I think, I think what I was probably referring to is you need to, you need to start rehab as soon as you find injury. In my, in my opinion, you've got to start rehabbing as quickly as your injury is beginning to heal. It's not going to completely heal and certainly not as quickly if, if you just let it sit and wait for antibiotics to take their, their, uh, yeah. their place. Uh, I wanted to, um, to push myself and they had told me in the very beginning in hot springs, you know, spend a week off your feet. And I spent three days and started moving. And that turned out to be a little bit of a mistake because then I had to spend six more days off my feet, but I wasn't completely off my feet. I started doing work first day. I was cleaning up. I was doing, I mean, I just couldn't sit still. I couldn't sit still. It was driving me nuts. But I think, um, I think, you know, when injury or illness hits you, you can't let it, you can't, you can't be completely defeated. You have to absolutely uh, get back on that horse and start moving again and rehab, rehab physically. You know, that, that was my, my whole, my whole thing. I, I know you as someone who's a get up and a go, get, get up and go for it type of person. Um, positive, uh, friendly, and um, driven. Have you had times in your life where, where you weren't that person, where you maybe had some self-pity um, and uh, negativity about you? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's been times. I can't pinpoint any of them. Uh, I'm not one to, you know, pity my predicament. Most of the time, I feel blessed by what I do have, that rather than pity myself for what I don't have. Uh, I'm a, like I said before, I'm an easygoing, laid back kind of guy. I also have a, a wicked sense of humor and I can laugh in the face of adversity as quickly as anyone. And it's probably been a blessing to help me get through those, those tough times. Um, you know, I mean, I, I have looked at, I've been in situations where I've stopped and said to myself, what's the worst thing that can happen? And once you play that scenario in your head, you find yourself laughing at how stupid <laughs> You know, and, and it, it's, that's, that's the worst thing. This is nothing. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've relied on my sense of humor to get me through the worst times when I probably, you know, would have, would have been broken otherwise. But I, I can't pinpoint a time when I felt that bad. I, you know, I felt like that. I've always felt like I was pretty blessed most of the time, you know, I, and just, just keep laughing. That's all. Let's get some uh, stats from you, some numbers here. How many pairs of shoes did you go through? I went through six pair of shoes. I came home with two pair. I actually sent one pair home. I, I started, I think I got 475 miles out of my first pair of Lone Peak uh, 4.5s. And then I got 625 miles out of, my, out of the next pair, which was uh, Ultra Olympus. 
and they blistered my feet terribly. I had a, all kinds of problems, but I wouldn't give them up. Then I got my another pair of 4.5s. I probably only wore them about 150 miles, and then I bought a pair of Merrill Moab ventilators, and that was because I was heading into northern Pennsylvania, and I knew I wanted a more substantial rock plate in Pennsylvania. So I switched to the Merrills and shipped my 4.5s ahead to uh, the Mohican Outdoor Center in New Jersey. So when I got there, I had finished Pennsylvania and part of New Jersey, and I switched back to my 4.5s, shipped the Merrills home. This is a long story, but the, I went from the, those 4.5s, I wore them about another 150 miles. Uh, then I went to Ultra Temps in Connecticut, in Bristol, Connecticut, and I wore those for, I don't know, till Bethel, Bethel, um, uh, Maine. And in Bethel, Maine, I bought another pair of Merrill Temps and wore those to Katahdin. So I came home in those. Those still have a few miles left on them. They're, they're beat to death, but they, 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 they held up pretty well. And I've got the Moabs here as well. So I've got, I came home with two pair of shoes altogether, but I, yeah, I went through six pairs start to finish. Did you uh, start off um, and finish the same weight or did you kind of? <laughs> I started off at, at 162 and I finished at 126. So I lost 36 pounds in wow. uh, five months, five and a half months. And I probably already put 17 of those back on again in two months. You know, I, I was emaciated. I didn't think I would be. I, didn't, <laughs> I think I'd lose it. I hadn't weighed 126 since I was in the ninth grade. So, you know, I was, I was probably 14 years old when I weighed that much. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I, uh, I did, I, I, you know, and my pack weight, my pack weight, I started, my pack weight was 26 pounds in Amicalola. It was 36 pounds in Monson. And it was because I'm carrying so much more food in the yeah. end than I was in the beginning. In the beginning, uh, you know, an eight pound bag of food would last me five days. In the end, it was 12 to 13 pounds. I think I saw you and it weighed 12 pounds. Where did we, we were in New Hampshire uh, yeah. at that hostel. Yeah, that's uh, so, Somewhere in New Hampshire. I can't remember the name of the hostel now. But uh, Hike a barn, uh, hike, Hike's barn, I think. Yeah, it's at the barn. That's the it. Barn. Yeah. Um, yeah, and B&B &B or something like that. But they, they I, I weighed my food bag. It was 12 and a half pounds and it only had four days worth of food in it. So yeah. I was just eating like a machine thinking that I could put my weight back on. I couldn't. I was still losing weight. I, if that trail had been any longer, I'd have disappeared because my, my pack weight and my body weight were going in opposite directions. And yeah. you would think that, you know, you're going to get stronger. You can carry more where well, your legs got stronger, but my back and shoulders and chest and arms, they just went into total atrophy. I'd burn off all my body fat. Well, if you look at um, East African, or in fact, it doesn't need to be East African. You look at marathon runners. Yeah. You know, and all the strength is in their legs, you know, but if those guys try and have an arm wrestle or maybe pick up a rock and, and, and raise it up over their head, their strength is that. So did you find that's the kind of physique your body was um, becoming like the, the kind of, um, well, I mean, strong legs and just weaker upper body? My legs, my calves got bigger. Hmm. Uh, I don't feel like my thighs got bigger, but I know my calves got bigger. And they certainly got stronger because I could handle uphills and my legs never got tired. 
after, by the time I got to uh, Hot Springs, North Carolina, I was already developing what I thought were my trail legs. Mm. Uh, and my, my lung power That's about got 300 strong. miles, isn't it? 270, 280. Yeah. 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 And I, my lungs were stronger because I had, had never, you know, I'm living in Florida. We have no elevation down here. I mean, you know, 200 feet is the highest point in the whole state, I think. And I live at about 27 feet above sea level. So, you know, I thought climbing mountains at, you know, 4,000, 5,000 feet would be a real burden on me lung-wise. And they really weren't, uh, by, especially by the end, I, I felt that my lungs and my legs found a synchronization point that I could go uphill all day long and breathe heavily all day. I felt like a marathon runner, yeah. that I could go uphill and breathe at a certain pace level that would be a heavy, a heavy breathing point that most people couldn't sustain for long. I could seem like I could sustain it all day long and it didn't slow me down. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can, it's understandable to the trail, you know, it's just like this ongoing green tunnel treadmill kind of thing. And you're, you're on your feet all day. You, you know, you, we never do that in our lives. You know, oh. we, we, we're not, as active as when you're on the trail is there um any funny stories you have about the dirty bubble at all <laughs> or any funny or any encounters you had with any of those guys that's worth mentioning that well, was there funny. was there was one young lady i'll never forget her it was the very first week and i don't know if she was part of the dirty bubble at least she wasn't towards the end but as far as i know she did finish the hike she may have been after me um and she, we, we had hiked all day long from Blood Mountain to Neil Gap. So it was the first week. And there were about seven of us in this group. And nobody said anything to her. But she appeared to have put her shorts on and then put her underwear over top of her shorts. Now, we, we didn't question this, right? We're, we're all still like, maybe that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody said anything to her. She had put her pants on inside out, but she didn't know it. And when we got to Neil Gap, somebody finally had the guts to ask her, was there a reason why she wore her underwear on the outside? It was because the liner in the shorts looked like a separate pair of underwear. And and she didn't even know it. She finally looked down and realized her pants were, her shorts had been inside out all day long. And, and she, she, she's embarrassed, but at the same time, she just drops this torrent of an AF bomb that just, you know, goes, goes off for like, you know, a minute and a half because <laughs> she was angry at herself. And we were in hysterics. Now we're laughing. Now we realize her shorts are inside out. Now, when guys wouldn't know this. Girls would because they're used to seeing the liners, whereas... You know, we we have liners in our in our running shorts, but they're yeah. netted most likely, and so that would have been noticeable. But anyway, the whole the whole thing was hysterical, and to me, that was one of those calamities that you see a, a new person do. There were there were other times where a guy uh, forgot to take the koozie off of his cook pot, and he put the cook pot on his stove to heat it up, and next thing you know, it's his, his plastic koozie is melting and this fire is dripping into the shelter on the floor of the shelter. As soon as he realizes his, his pot's on fire, he grabs it and throws it out the shelter. Well, it goes right past me. I mean, within inches of my crotch, it went flying right by me, this fireball. 
And uh, I mean, he threw it out without regard to who's out there that's yeah. going to hit it. Sure. And it, it just missed me. And then we, you know, once we all realized what had just happened, he's in there all embarrassed. You know, he's an older guy. I say older. He's probably in his fifties. And uh, I'm sure he was embarrassed by it, but it, it was, again, one of those funny stories that you, you look back at it and you, you have to laugh, you know, it's, it's just, um, uh, it's a calamity of, of, uh, of hiking, you know, it's like it's it, getting it wrong, you know, like in the first six weeks, making those kind of rookie mistakes. Yeah. It is what it is. Is there any, um, uh, hey, Reckless, I appreciate your time, man. And I can't believe that's an hour. It feels more like 15 minutes. Um, but um, is there any, um, a, a, it's something that like you wanted to um, touch on just before we come to the end here? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, it's the adventure of a lifetime. I encourage everybody to pick something that would be an adventure of a lifetime. It doesn't have to be hiking. It can be anything. But pick something that you you don't normally do and go out and challenge yourself to do it. Again, it was a physical, mental, and emotional challenge. I felt like I lived up to the challenge. I, I accepted it. it. It was way off the chart. For everybody in my family thought I was nuts. Uh, but they all cheered me on. And you, you really do discover the support system that holds you up emotionally when you're out on a trek like this. Uh, you know, I could log into Facebook and see you know, two, 300, uh, you know, reactions and 150 or 200 comments. And they were people I know that were cheering me on all the way. And I felt a great deal of uh, motivation from seeing that. I think that everybody has the ability to pull this off, even the Appalachian Trail, believe it or not. Uh, you know, you can, you, there are people out there, you and I saw people out there, I'm sure, that you would have never believed were going to make it and they made it. And you know, so there's there's no limit to what the human body and mind is capable of if if given the opportunity to succeed. And I think that's that's my message would be go out and find it, find your challenge, find something that's off the chart, and and give it a shot because you just never know what you might come away with. You might come away with a whole new sense of self. And uh, and I think I think I felt. I feel a lot better about myself. My feet still sore, but everything else feels good. <laughs> but uh, you call it a Christmas feet, where you, you don't get the feeling of your feet back till Christmas. Right, right. Well, you know, I feel like I've been walking on Legos for you know barefooted for for six months. It's just the bottoms of my feet. My my calluses have started to you know wither away. That's yeah. getting back to sensitive feet again. Uh, for the longest time, I couldn't feel my toes. And uh, so there's that feeling has finally come back. But, um, you yeah. know, um, it's funny, the advice uh, that you just gave um, is pretty much and it's so interesting because road soda, I think, is in his 20s, not in the exact not in the same words, but it was go and find your road soda said this at the end of our podcast. Again, for listeners, road soda was one of the members of the Dirty Bubble. He's a couple of episodes back. Go and check out the show. But uh, yeah, Road Soda in not so many words said the same thing. Go and find your challenge and uh, don't wait. Just go for it. it you know, so it's, it's um, common, common advice there. Um, um, listen, Reckless, I know that you did. Uh, I know that you have a YouTube channel. Um, is could uh, people go and visit that and maybe yeah, yeah. sure um, yeah. it's you find it first I think under Kevin 
Newsome, N-E-W-S-O-M-E, a.k.a. Reckless Abandon. That's that's the name of the channel. Hey, Kevin Newsom, a.k.a. Reckless Abandon. Um, I did chronicle the hike. I started with a couple of gear videos beforehand, like most people do. I've done about three gear review videos since I've gotten back. Um, and I did maybe 39 or 40 videos while I was on the trail. So I put out I put out a lot of content and and I did it all on my iPhone. I didn't take the big cameras. I didn't, you know, I started with a DJI Osmo Pocket, but that crapped out after about two weeks. I think it got wet and I just sent it home and never messed with it again. Um, but I um, I did have a good time with it. I had a lot of fun. Uh, my YouTube channel is not big. It's got maybe 15, 1600 subscribers. Uh, but it's, it's, it, I do get a lot of feedback on it. It's a lot of fun to read viewer comments and, and their suggestions on how to improve on this and that. I mean, I, there's, I'm not the end all be all and nobody is, but, uh, I, I was fascinated with some of the great advice that I picked up from actual, uh, viewers to my channel. So there's some, there's some smart people out there. No, I think it's just nice for the listeners to be able to actually go to something, um, and uh individual and because they've heard us talking in that for an hour but be nice if they can go and like check you out on trail i mean that's i i would um yep. and have as well so <laughs> you know, uh, i even think i'm in one of your videos i think when we're uh, in the whites I, I i forget where it was but i'm pretty sure i was in one of your videos well you're you're featured in one of them the one where we were on franconia ridge you're in that yeah yeah you know, it's just when you got the the video or the picture of the uh the, the circle rainbow and your shadow inside the rainbow do you remember that i i had to look it up to find out what it was it's actually a thing yeah um, yeah the name of it is but um that was something else <laughs> yeah your shadow inside of a rainbow circle and uh i've got video of you getting pictures of that yeah. And then, uh, then there's, there's another one where I may have been getting long-winded a story about how I had to bounce a box that had rain pants in it from one post office to the next to the next because it couldn't. I was out walking the, the ability of the U.S. Postal Service to actually deliver a package. I could walk faster than they could drive. And, uh, I think and I was I, with you when you went to collect those pants in, in I, yeah. I forget the name of the town. Where did you collect them? It was New Han uh, Hanover, New Hampshire is where they were supposed to go. And they went to Pauling, New York. And, yeah. and then I bounced them to North Conway. And then when I realized North Conway is 30 miles off trail, I had to bounce them again to another town. I can't remember now which one it was. But it was eventually... Yeah, I think it was where the barn was, I think. Yeah. We took a walk one time. Yeah, that's right. You were with me when I, when I finally got them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's where the, that, uh, that shelter was, or the, the hostel was where my pack was weighing like 30, my food bag was weighing 12, 13 pounds. I remember that. Just before um, we shut down, because I know actually you, you, you actually we're going over time here. Just uh, maybe in one word, what was it like to stand on top of Katahdin? <laughs> oh, or a <God>. sentence <laughs> one word just incredible there you, you go know? incredible incredible yeah i think i think it was the the pinnacle i was laughing hysterically all the way up that mountain you know some people hit that mountain and they were crying with yeah. tears of joy and they they got to the top of that and they would just break down 
I was laughing hysterically and hooting and hollering and screaming. To me, it, it, that was my tears of joy, was the screams and hollers of a, of a, a successful through hiker. A, a reckless abandon, man. Reckless <laughs> abandon. Yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, hey Reckless, uh, thanks for coming onto the podcast. And um, yeah, I don't think this is a goodbye. I'm pretty sure um, I'm going to see you again. And, and ho hopefully if you, oh, let me ask you, you, you said your next hike, have you got anything in the pipelines for the next couple not, of years? Not yet. I, I, I do. My wife and I are planning to make a trip up to the Appalachian Trail next May mm -hmm. to do some trail magic. So uh, we've picked, I think, the first week of May of next year, and she's already started buying all of her gear. But unlike my gear, her gear is not, you know, uh, the kind of gear that you you go on a hike with. Her gear is like she wants a luxury tent that holds eight people and has a porch, and so her. Her idea of camping is nothing like my idea of camping. Yeah. But I said, hey, it's, if you want to sleep in that, that's fine. You know, we'll 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 share that. But uh, we are not going to be walking up a mountain with that on my back. So wherever whatever she's buying, we're going to have to find a place that we can pitch that tent really close to the car, and uh, and be able to do trail magic from that for for a day or two. I wanted to do some trail magic. I told her that. And so she, she jumped right on board with that. She thought that was a great idea. As far as an actual hike, I would love to go out and do a chunk of either the Colorado Trail or the Arizona Trail. Yeah. Um, either of those, those uh, states appeal to me. They're, you know, 500 to 800 miles long, something like that. I wouldn't do the whole thing. I would love to go out there for a week and just get my legs stretched again, you know. I was never a hiker to begin with. So it's not like I've got a laundry list of, mm. of goals in the hiking community. The AT was the biggest goal I could think of. And I, I have no designs for the PCT or the CDT. But I don't, you know, I would go out on the Florida Trail again and do a couple of chunks. The Ocala National Forest is a beautiful trail to work on. You know, you, every stop you've got a lake and you've got lakes, you've got swimming holes. <laughs> well, hey, uh, when I come over to the States again, I'll um, catch up with you and we're going to do a bit of hike and come in Absolutely. and meet your family and stuff. Well, Reckless, thanks for coming on to the show and um, yeah, uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too, sir. I'd just like to thank everybody who tuned in today to listen to um, my chat with Reckless Abandon. Uh, I'd really like some feedback, actually. This uh, whole podcast began out of um, my hobby as an ultramarathon runner, you know, uh, which spans like uh, well over a decade. In fact, my hobby as an endurance athlete, which is two decades, because I did my first marathon in the year 2000. And um, anyway, I always wanted to start a podcast and talk to fellow ultra runners. And when I was out on the Appalachian Trail last year, uh, sorry, this year, I realized that um, these through hikers are another level of an endurance athlete. So they're not ultra runners, but you're talking about, you know, the average through hiker takes about five and a half months and averages about 100 miles a week, including just countless um numbers of elevation going up and down mountains carrying their stuff 
you know, sleeping in the woods. So for me, that almost goes hand in hand with the sport of ultramarathon running because it's enduring. So that's why I've created this podcast. Please, again, if you do like the show, go to Apple, um, if that's where you listen to it, and give me a, a rating. That's always much appreciated. Again, as I mentioned earlier on in my podcast at the start, um, I uh, have an online run coaching business and I myself am the coach. You know, I still have some space for some uh, ultra runners on there. Anyone who wants to join uh, and become an athlete and train towards something that they're passionate about, I'm here to help. So go and check out my coaching packages. I pretty much offer everyone the same thing because I don't like to uh, give someone one uh, level of coaching and then another person another level of coaching just because they pay different prices so i've got one price one level of coaching unlimited emails whatsapp messages video calls whenever you need me just give me a shout and i think that's pretty sweet for 150 pounds or whatever that is converted into dollars about 200 dollars a month uh, per calendar month go and check out the other online run coaching um, guys out there and you'll realize that mine's uh, quite competitive anyway have a great week next week um, i'm back with another through hiker whose uh, name is Showpony, and uh, you'll find out more about that in the interview with Showpony next week in the meantime have a great day have a great week and uh, go out as reckless said set yourself a goal and uh, strive towards it many thanks